Welcome to the BadgerBlitz.com podcast, powered by Overtime Media. I'm Benjamin Wargle, the Wisconsin beat writer for the Rivals.com network, and there's reason to celebrate because Wisconsin basketball is the 2020 national champions. I'll explain in a minute. Our guest today will be Wisconsin senior Brevin Pritzel, who played some of his best basketball over the last six weeks of the regular season to help lead Wisconsin to a Big Ten championship. I'll ask him about the stretch run to that title, the sudden cancellation of this past season, his growth, and about some of the turmoil the Badgers faced throughout the 2019-2020 season. I'll also give you my postseason awards as we put a bow on Wisconsin basketball's most recent season. But before I start today, I want to send all of our listeners my good wishes during this incredibly difficult and bizarre time. I know we're all feeling it as a father of two, having to homeschool your kids suddenly is a a job description that I wasn't quite prepared to add to my resume, but we're all making our best and doing what we can to kind of survive this really historic time. And I hope that I can put together a fun show for you today as we kind of battle through our social distancing, quarantine, and really a lack of toilet paper. Uh, So I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy and washing their hands and just taking the extra precautions to hopefully flatten the curve enough where we can get back to a sense of normalcy here in the not too distant future. Our podcast this week is brought to you by Simply Safe Home Security, a product that uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of crimes committed, which means police dispatch is up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. You get comprehensive protection for your entire home, outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your home, entry, motion, and glass break sensors guard the inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, and carbon monoxide poisoning 24 hours a day, seven days a week by live security professionals. You can set up the system yourself, no tools needed, or Simply Safe can do it for you, and it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com/overtime. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. Simplysafe.com/overtime. Let us know that our show sent you. Now, I mentioned at the top that Wisconsin basketball is the national champions. Since the NCAA tournament was canceled over a week and a half ago, we've seen people try to get their bracket fixed in a number of different ways. TV and radio stations are re-airing great games in tournament history. The other day, I listened to UMBC's upset over number one seed Virginia. And people are coming up with their own bracket simulations or coming up with their own bracket tournaments altogether. We're doing that at BadgerBlitz.com with the Recruiting Bracket Challenge, which you can vote on by going to our site's Twitter handle, at Badger underscore Blitz. Now, ESPN did its version by simulating the site's bracketologist and the Basketball Power Index, combining those two to simulate what the NCAA tournament could have been. And I emphasize could. Uh, But instead of running probabilities, they selected one random simulation from thousands that they did and reported the results. And the one they picked, Wisconsin, best of the field, and a couple of familiar foes to heist the national championship trophy. Now, they were seeded number four in the Midwest region. The Badgers beat North Texas in the first round, and thanks to number 12 seed Liberty beating number five Auburn, Wisconsin advanced to the Sweet 16 after beating the Flames. But here's where things got real interesting. Marquette somehow beat the likely overall number one seed Kansas, making a Badger-Golden Eagles Sweet 16 matchup in the postseason for the first time a matchup that we nearly got to see 17 years ago in Minneapolis when Dwayne Wade was playing with Marquette. 
UW took care of business, and then, as sweet as it would be to end the season of its in-state rival, the Badgers got their revenge on Duke by exacting some revenge from that 2015 championship game and advanced to the Final Four. And how would this be for ironic in that victory would come at Lucas Oil Stadium, the same venue where Duke stole that national title away from Wisconsin? Now, this is already kind of a crazy simulation where no number one seeds or number two seeds advanced uh, to, to the Final Four, really even to the Elite Eight. But Wisconsin beat number four Maryland in the first national semifinal in Atlanta's Georgia Dome and faced number six BYU as after the Cougars beat defending national champion Virginia in the other semifinal. So we got number four seed Wisconsin against number six seed BYU for the national championship game, a ratings bonanza. Here's what ESPN wrote about that final game. In the college basketball season that made no sense, Wisconsin has come out of relatively nowhere to take the national championship. The Badgers had less than a 1% chance to pull off this feat entering the tournament. It's a team effort, but Nate Reavers led Wisconsin with 16 points. Greg Gard is lauded for getting his group to play their best when it mattered the most. This is the team that did not begin the season in the AP's top 25 and only barely cracked it in the last set of rankings. None of that matters because the Badgers are now the simulated champions. Kind of a cool story. It kind of fits the narrative a little bit that Wisconsin got hot at the right time, got some breaks to go their way. You know, having Marquette beat Kansas in this simulation, uh, and but getting past Duke uh, would be sweet revenge. Ending Marquette's season, like I mentioned, beating a Big Ten team in the national semifinals, a team that you beat earlier in the year, one of the tri-champions of the conference. Cool story. Gives Wisconsin fans a little bit of joy in this gloomy time. However, it is complete fantasy because, you know, let's face it, there's no way Marquette makes it out of the first round of the NCAA tournament. You're listening to the BadgerBlitz.com podcast, powered by Overtime Media. Our guest this week is now a Big Ten champion, and according to ESPN, he's a member of the 2020 National Championship Wisconsin Badgers basketball team. Brevin Pritzel joins the program, and Brevin... I'm curious, did you see that article where ESPN simulated the tournament and had you guys winning? And if so, does that bring a laugh to you? Or does that kind of bring the opposite of what maybe could have been had this all played out uh, without any disruptions? I mean, actually, I woke up yesterday late and uh, Coach Yard had already texted us the <laughs> article, you know. So I think, he, I think everybody's in good spirits, kind of have a good sense of humor about all this. Uh, I think it was just, it was just a good, like, lighthearted thing you kind of laugh at in the morning because obviously a simulator, you don't really know because, you know, any team can get hot, any team can go ice cold. So I think it's just a good, lighthearted way, you know, kind of brighten your day up. You guys had to feel pretty good about where you were entering uh, the postseason. You had won eight straight. You were trending in the right direction. And, you know, always come the month of March, you want to be playing your best basketball. And it feels like you guys had done that with some big wins at home, and especially some big wins on the road after kind of getting off to a slow start away from home to start the year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we, really, we really came together, you know. The practices became a little more competitive as we had guys who were in our top eight that were playing on the scout team or, you know, just more reps of competitive reps and, you know, it kind of got us more ready for the games and then as soon as game time came in, you know, we all had a singular focus on just focusing on the task at hand, not trying to think about anything else, you know, where we are positioned in the conference, like anything like that, everything was just focused in every day and just that one day. What 
have the last two weeks kind of been like for you personally? You, you go from the highest of highs of winning a Big Ten championship and preparing for a postseason run to suddenly being done. Has it, It's kind of, I think for a lot of people, this whole kind of quarantine and this whole virus has been kind of a whirlwind. It's a change, uh, change in the way of life. How has that been for you? Um, I mean, it's been tough, you know, from you had this great end of our season, you know, we were, we won the Big Ten, we shared for the Big Ten title, you know, we were going into practice to get ready for the Big Ten tournament, you know, and my last day of college basketball was just a regular practice, you know, it wasn't a loss, wasn't a win, and then now you just try to keep busy as much as you can, you know, knowing that obviously the recommendation is to stay home when they out if it's really necessary, so, you know, I'm just trying to do my best, you know, stick to the rules, but also just try to fill my head with other things so you don't try to focus on, you know, what you didn't have. Things changed so quickly because, you know, you guys won on a Saturday and nobody was thinking about, you know, anything being canceled. I mean, maybe some things here and there would be altered, but nothing to this degree. And even on Wednesday in the morning, you guys were preparing to play either Rutgers or Michigan in Indianapolis, and there was no talk about the tournament being canceled. The Big Ten even came out with a statement that the tournament would go on as scheduled, and then within 24 hours, they went from no changes to no fans to the NCAA having no fans, and then to everything kind of being canceled to where we are now. Can you walk me through that Wednesday as you prepared? Um, did you think there was a chance that this whole thing would get canceled, or were you just kind of tunnel visioned on preparing to play uh, either Rutgers or or, uh, or Michigan? You know, I tried to stay as much focused on you know playing the game, not a fair no fans. You know, it's just it's just been a good another. I get to play again, so I really tried to focus in on you know like who we're gonna play. I didn't watch it that night when uh, Hoiberg got sick or whatever, but I started getting text messages from our teammates were like, oh, it's canceled, it's going to get canceled. Hoiberg's sick on the bench, you know, and it mm-hmm. kind of like, it all spiraled from there. Like, you kinda, I think he, him getting sick, you know, even though it wasn't the flu, it was kind of like the icing on the cake that told us, you know, at this time, this is the time to be kind of pushing through. Like, this is serious, so... You know, I just, as soon as that came down, I kind of had in the back of my mind that things were going to get canceled, but obviously the next morning we woke up and the news broke, so, you know, just trying to take it, you just try to, try to just keep moving forward as much as you can. You sent out a tweet that I thought was pretty impactful. Um, you, it was you carrying the Big Ten trophy onto the airplane in Bloomington after you guys had won it, and you said, you know, basically, while you didn't think it was going to end this way, it has been an amazing five-year ride. You also tweeted later, "What do I do now?" Which I thought was really funny. But what, was this easy for you to accept and move on from? In part because it ended on a high note for you, that it didn't end with you losing in Indiana or it didn't end with a loss in the NCAA tournament. It ended with you guys winning a championship. Did that help you kind of accept and move on uh, during this process? I mean, not necessarily. You know, I mean, I just always try to look forward and not try to look at things in the past like a personal thing so I can always kind of move forward through life and enjoy it. But... It definitely isn't easy to just have your career come to an end. You know, I still feel like I had my best basketball ahead of me. I feel like we could have really made a push in March and, you know, really done some things. So to know that we'll never have the opportunity to do that and I'll never be able to put that Wisconsin uniform on again, it's, it's, it's unfortunate and it stinks. But at the same time, like, I can't sit here, you know, and sit in my sorrows. You know, I still have a life. 
Greg said it was easy. It was easier to accept because you guys had won a championship, like I just mentioned. But he also said he didn't think it was possible that you guys would win a championship until the first week of March, primarily because he had he was just focused on the next game and what you guys had to do. As a player, yeah. when did you think you had a chance to win a Big Ten title? Was it not until after the Northwestern win, or did you could you kind of see the dominoes yeah, falling no. in your direction before that? I didn't even really think about you know, the opportunity of winning a championship. I was just focused on, you know, winning the next game, you know, having the next practice, you know, making sure it's a good one. You know, I try, I try to stay out of the state because at the end of the day, if you're doing your job every day, you should be putting yourself in a good position. So it's, once you beat Northwestern and then kind of, then you can start scoreboard watching a little bit. Like, okay, we need so-and-so to lose, you know. And then I kind of started to care, but at the end of the day, you know, it was still up to us to win that game at Indiana. So I tried to stay as much focused on that what were your, what was going through your head um, at that game in Bloomington when you guys were down nine in the second half? Did you feel uh, supremely confident that this wasn't anything that you guys hadn't overcome in the past? And then what were you feeling as the seconds ticked down and you pretty much knew that this this win was in the bag and you guys were going to be Big Ten champions? Uh, when we were down, I, uh, we all, I think there was a collective worry, like a little bit of worry. You're like, oh gosh, we put, we put in all this work to get to this point. You know, and now we're not performing to our what our level is. You know, and that's the biggest thing. I think the level we performed at, you know, offensively, defensively. You know, defense kind of went down a little bit, but our offense went way up. And then we finally collected it against Northwestern. So I knew we wanted the Indiana. We were gonna, our defense is going to be able to hang tight with no matter what happens, which is actually what won us the game. You know, we were able to lock down and get some stops. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the biggest thing. I think I had a layup, Brad had a three, and then we kind of just started a spiral from there, you know. For the most part, defensively, we did a good job of locking up their options, you know. Offensively, Donnie hurt us a little bit, fouls hurt us, but for the most part, we were forcing them into tough shots, and we ended up being able to lock down enough times at the end of the game to come out with a W. And then towards the end of the game, like that last like minute, you know, I think Mike gets offensive rebounding and one or whatever it was, you know, and then we get the rebound on the other end, and we're coming down like, okay, we can milk 30 seconds off, you know. And as soon as it comes to free throws, you know, I'm very confident our team to shoot free throws well. You know, we have three guys that shoot probably shoot 90% in practice, probably 80-something in the game, so, you know, you feel confident in your ability to go out and shoot free throws when it came down to it, so I knew we had it in the bag at that point. What was the biggest difference between Wisconsin Badgers this past year and the Wisconsin Badgers of two years ago, um, because primarily all the guys that we saw this year played uh, last year, and you guys trended upward as the season was coming into March. Well, the year before, you guys really were in an offensive kind of tailspin a little bit that you really could never figure figure out. D- Dimitrik said that he just felt that the, the closeness of this team really impacted the end result. I'm curious your take. What do you think was the big difference while you guys had such a, a successful run up until the postseason, while last year um, you guys were really kind of struggling to, to put together consistency? Yeah, I think a lot of it was, you know, the offense last year was very consistent. I mean, obviously Ethan was going to give us his 18 and 10 rebounds or whatever it was, you know. But then outside of that, you didn't really know what you were going to get. You didn't know if you were going to get guys that were going to be hot or would be off, you know. And the way we played kind of got into everybody's legs late in the season, I think, was the biggest thing last year. 
last year. Be this year. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just got on our legs. You, know, you could see the NCAA tournament game that we were kind of tired. You know, we were as fresh as we could be. And then this year, you know, we, we, uh, the collectiveness definitely helped in terms of, you know, overcoming the adversity of games, you know, that knowing that we're going to get it done mentality. But also, like, if you watch us play, you know, we were a lot more fresh, a lot more popular legs in our bodies, you know, and I think that really helped us, you know, we did a good job of recovering this year and, you know, really getting our bodies right to perform down the stretch, and I think that was a big thing, you know, we looked at other teams and we were like, oh, they look kind of tired out there, and we felt like we had our best still ahead of us, so I think that really helped. It's no secret, Brevin, that you guys went through a lot of things off the court this past year. Um, I think the Howard Moore's car accident uh, in Memorial Day was easily the hardest thing you guys and your teammates had to deal with all season. I'm curious, what was the second hardest thing you guys had to overcome? Was it not having Micah for the first 10 games of the year or Kobe suddenly leaving the team in late January? I think it's not having Micah, you know, because we were playing a lot of small ball. You know, I was playing some of the four, and Lee was playing five, you know, in those minutes. And it's not to say that we can't do it, but we were doing it for long stretches where, you know, that maybe that little bit of offensive, you know, plus you get out of playing small ball started becoming a negative defensive, you know, we were able to kind of perform in those big games at those moments and I think that was the biggest thing. Once we got Michael back, we knew we had two true fives that we could either play together or separate, you know, and it kind of kept that big that we could just keep attacking people down the lane, you know, in the post and it helps to go from shoot. But then when I think not having Micah for that first part, you know, definitely hurt us. I know you guys kind of downplayed Kobe's decision to leave uh, when you talked to, uh, to us, but you know, privately, what, what was the mood of the group when you saw a player who was really contributing a lot offensively leave the team and kind of left you guys maybe in a little bit of a lurch of what you were going to do offensively in some spots? What, what was kind of the mood of you guys as you kind of had to go to Iowa and then you had some time to prepare for Michigan State? Because that was kind of a critical juncture, uh, looking back, of where you guys were in your season. Yeah, we still should have won that game in Iowa. We kind of let that one get away from us. You know, the I mean, the foul definitely helped, but mm-hmm. it didn't help. But, you know, if we wasn't there again, we announced he wasn't coming, and, you know, we kind of thrust into it and said, okay, it looks like you're going to play a lot. For me, obviously, there's a lot more minutes for me down the stretch, and uh, at times, our offense moves a little better with with me in the game instead of Kobe because Kobe had played the ball in his hands really well and not much more of an off-ball mover. And I think it really just came down to, you know, when he left, you know, we give him, we whistle him the best, you know, whatever, but you can't really control what you can control. So, and it came down to it. Only the 14 guys that were left in our locker room were the ones that, you know, had an impact on what happened. We can't let what happened outside or someone leaving really affect our play. So, Yeah, you guys went nine and two over your last eleven games without Kobe, and and you look at offensively, it would just became more efficient. You kind of mentioned it too. Did it also help that because you didn't have someone who played a lot of minutes, and because you were thinner on the bench now at the guard spot, it felt like there was a little bit more freedom between you, Demetric, Brad, Trevor. That even if you maybe made a mistake, Greg wasn't going to give the quick hooks to a degree because he had to ride you guys out, and it seemed like you guys played a little bit more free and loose. Is that is that a fair assessment? Uh, a little bit. I mean, throughout the year in general, he was very he was very free. You know, he still does occasionally. Like if it's a, if it's a really bad mistake, he's going to pull you. Mm-hmm. But you know, if it's those little 
going to be happy that we're being aggressive. And that's something he preached to us, you know, after that Thanksgiving when we kind of went down. He said, I know shots are going to fall. I know things are going to go right. I need you guys to just keep being aggressive. You know, it was just really sticking with that mentality and then, you know, not letting anything kind of get in the way of our mental approach to the game. Again, we're talking with Brevin Pritzel here on the BadgerBlitz.com podcast. And Brevin, you, you typically don't like to focus the attention on yourself, um, but I need to ask you a couple questions about your career. So try to not be so humble. Um, Greg recruited you and said from the time that you got on campus that you were a tremendous perimeter shooter who had the ability to develop into a well-rounded player. And I know that the foot injury um, kind of sucked some life out of your development early on, but it felt like, especially uh, three years ago when you played a lot, and then this year, you really, when you got the minutes, you really were able to find a really good rhythm, not just with your shooting, but with your aggressiveness and your rebounding and everything that kind of goes with it. How important was was Greg and and his assistants, Joe, Orlando, Dean, and Howard, in helping you get to that point where you were known more as than just a guy that can shoot from the perimeter? See, the thing is, everybody gets a mistake is I wasn't a good perimeter shooter coming into college. I think I shot thirty one percent for my career in high school from three. I was a more of a volume scorer where I took a lot more like two point pull ups, step backs, you know, post moves. So that's kind of, I think, the biggest misconception. Like, yes, I could shoot, I could get hot, but I wasn't exactly a career percentage shooter. I think that's what it kind of showed that my first year when I started, so my Richard sophomore year, like, I was like, getting more minutes and I was scoring more, but my percentages still weren't great. They weren't where, like, a good shooter would be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I took a lot of time, you know, developing, you know, reps in the gym by yourself and practice, you know, really drilling footwork, really drilling your release, you know, making sure you're comfortable shooting at all types of positions. And, you know, I think the year where I shot 53% in conference, you know, I was only shooting two shots a game, but I was super confident every shot that left my hand was going to go in. You know, I felt like I prepared really well for that role, you know, where I was more just a hustle guy, hit the two shots I get, and then just keep playing Whereas this year, you know, Coach Carney talked to me at the beginning of the year and said, I need, you to be a little, I need you to be more aggressive. You know, I went the first couple of games of the year. I think I had the big game against Marquette, and I was kind of just like, wow, for about two weeks. And he said, we can't have that. We need more. And, you know, I kind of took that to heart and then was able to kind of perform more down the stretch. And towards the end of the year, you know, the freedom was there, like you say, but he also, so we also started calling a couple more sets to let me do a little, little more things off the ball instead of just catch and shoot and you know, hopefully I performed well for him in that regard, but I think towards the end of the year, it was a little more what I can do as a basketball player, you know, but the way the way we win is we have guys who all perform really well in our system, and, you know, if you understand that, you can be successful, and I think that's the biggest thing in college is, you know, you really have to dive home into the system to be successful, and that's something I had to adjust to instead of having the system revolve around me. I have three games here that I wanted to ask you about that I thought were were pivotal to the season, and th- and not surprisingly, in these three games you had big moments, and one of them was the Marquette game you mentioned because that, if I recall, that was your fourth game of the year. You guys lost the opener uh, in overtime to, to St. Mary's in South Dakota, and then you had two mid-major home games that you won. And the Marquette Wisconsin game is always a big rivalry game uh, for fans in the state, and it's usually a good barometer, I think, for both programs. And you came out 
with your first career double-double of 15 and 13. I thought the rebounds was the big thing that stood out to a lot of people, especially six on the offensive glass. What did that win tell you about your team and, and how good you could be after kind of a rocky start? And especially you, uh, with your ability to, when you stick your nose in there and get rebounds, good things can happen, and certainly that proved uh, pivotal down the stretch for you guys in Big Ten play. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm always priding myself, you know, just being a little bit of an energy guy, you know, because it doesn't take, you know, either athleticism or anything to get offensive rebounds. It just takes hustle. And, you know, I came in that game, you know, you obviously look at the scout, you see they play a little smaller, you know, guys around my size, maybe a little taller. And I think I, I feel like I could out-physical them. So I kind of took it from the jump and said, okay, if I, I can get one or two here early, you know, Maybe they will, they'll try it harder the box now. I mean, I'm going to get a couple more open shots. Then. You know, it's really just about taking what the defense is doing. And, you know, they didn't they didn't do a great job boxing. I was just relying on athleticism. So I kind of just stuck my way in. And, you know, they were obviously to get some big boards. But, you know, that whole game itself, you know, I felt like we had a great energy about us. Because, you know, we, we went in last year to the Pfizer and had an awful performance. I mean, I know it was a close game, but none of us felt good about it. So we really felt like we needed to win that, win it and, you know, really perform the maximum best. The same could kind of be said, Brevin, about the win against Ohio State at home because you guys were coming off that ugly loss in Minnesota, and I know that you you talked in the practices leading up to Ohio State game that you you were not happy with how you played in that game, and then you come out and you scored a season-high 19 off the bench. I think you were 5 of 6 from three-point range. You had five rebounds, a couple steals. That was the start of the winning streak. Uh, you guys never lost from, from that point forward. H- how important was it to to have that bounce-back capability and win after a bad loss against a good team? Because it felt like that was really a good spark because you guys just dominated that game for the most part. Ohio State really from like the midway point of the first half on just looked like a defeated basketball team. Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely, after the Minnesota game, we had a really sour taste in our mouth. You know, we let them kind of out physical us on the boards, you know, and we really let them kind of get whatever they wanted. And in practice, you know, we really... We really took it upon ourselves, you know, accept that challenge. Coach Guard telling us that our physicality was challenged and we didn't take it well. And, you know, we went to the game. We obviously beat them at, at, in Ohio, at Ohio State. And, you know, that gave me a little extra confidence going in. You're like, okay, we know what we did well, didn't do, didn't, didn't do well. And defensively there, we thought we did a pretty good job. We had a lot of holes that were sure been easy to fix. And, you know, that's kind of what we did going into the game. We really locked in defensively, and that offensively helps when a guy gets hot, you know. But for the most part, you know, it was that defensive cohesiveness that we had that game that's what really pushed us forward. And in my opinion, I think the biggest win of the season, or certainly one of them, was the victory at home over Michigan State just because of the situation you guys were in personnel-wise. You didn't have Kobe. You didn't have Brad for the game. Uh, you're coming off you know, the loss at Iowa. So many things were going on. Mm-hmm. You played all but 30 seconds in that game, and you had 10-7. and seven. It seemed like that was a huge uplifting win just for the program. I think it quieted a lot of doubts people had about uh, your head coach, about the direction of this program. What was the mood like entering that game off the Iowa loss? You mentioned earlier that's a game you, you should have won. And then just the confidence that that win gave you, because Michigan State had, had your group's number for, I think it was eight straight oh, games gosh, or something like that. Something gosh. insane, okay. yeah. Um, you know, going into it, you know, obviously the suspension for Brad came down, and we're all sitting there like, like well, that means me and Meech aren't coming out of the game. 
already <laughs> because because well, normally that's what happens is I would sub in and if I had Samantha Warren or Trevor, you know, give those minute releases. But for for me, it was it was like okay, I got to prepare mentally. And same for me because we we talked about it ahead of time. I said, "Give me a book to play forty. We're going to need to be you know fully prepared." And Coach Gardner the day before our practice, we, I practiced the whole practice with no breaks until the very end. And I was like, "Okay, this is gonna, this is how it's going to go." And personally, I love the new the early tips, so I was ready to go for the jump. But as soon as that game started, you know, we had we had this swagger, this intensity about us from the jump that I think is what really carried us. You know. We did a couple big rebounds to start the game, you know, just like strong rebounds. And I think we, the crowd really, like, plays off that. And then you're able to play off the crowd's energy and kind of carry you through. A couple more minutes here with Brevin Pritzel on the BadgerBlitz.com podcast. Brevin, what, what's your favorite memory from your five years at Wisconsin? Was it something that happened this year that we talked about, or was it something that happened previously? I know I've, said, I've, asked this, I've answered this question like 12 times and I always say the same thing. Nothing on the court, you know, is really like a guy you can go and look at someday and like watch what happened. But I think it's the moments off the court are, like, are your favorite memories, you know. It's hanging out with like 14 of your best friends every single day, you know, and being able to talk about anything, you know, listen to different types of music, you know, all these little moments. And I think that's what really makes college a special place is it's all those moments off the court that you spend with your teammates that, you know, you just are never going to forget. Who's the best player you played with in your five years at Wisconsin? Can you pick one? Because you had a lot of good guys that came through. They were good in a variety of different ways. You had some good low post players, some good backcourt players. Who, If you had to pick one, who was the most, you know, the most talented that you played with that just you were always impressed with when you watched them play? I think it's tough. It's it's tough to say because you got guys like Ethan, guys on the front said, you know, Ethan obviously has the stats that can kind of back up that he was this superstar All American, and you know you can never put a knock on him. But any other guy like Nigel who was able to play, you know, virtually all three levels and do it well for four years. Bronson obviously carried our team through a lot of games, you know, with his shooting, you know, playmaking, and I think the biggest, I think. It, it's got to be like a three-way tie. If I had to give anyone a lead, I would say Nigel. Just because when Nigel was locked in on defense, you know, he was able to he was able to lock people down as well as go out and give you 20 points. You know, he really had a swagger to him and the toughness about him that, you know, I haven't seen managed yet. What was the best venue you were able to play in other than the Cole Center? And what was the worst venue you played at during your tenure? So my favorite places to play you know, you know, we didn't necessarily play well there. You know, the Breslin Center is an amazing place. Mm-hmm. You know, they did a really good job there. Uh, Mackey Arena is another beautiful facility. I mean, the students are right on top of you, which is why it's so great. Uh, Maryland facility is, uh, is really well done. But places I hate playing is like Iowa, Minnesota. I don't like Minnesota's court being raised. I think it's weird. <laughs> but... That's probably my biggest knock in those two places. I just don't like Iowa's court because there's a lot of dead spots on it, and then Minnesota being that raised floor. That's just just a weird little vibe they are going there. So when you're at Carver, when you're dribbling, sometimes when you dribble the ball, it, it doesn't bounce quite right, and that can mess you up. Yeah, there's a lot of dead spots. You know, you always do coach lines on dribble all the way up and down the court. You know, four lines kind of. So around find the dead spots. You know, there's a lot of dead spots on that floor. Interesting. Coach Oliver, Coach Oliver joked is because they used to trap at half court, so they put a bunch of them around the half court. <laughs> ball would drop on you. Well, he um, would. He would know. He should be able to, to you know, spray exactly paint all those spots that's for you. 
Yeah, that's always fun. And he said, this is the same court I played on. You know, it's always those good little jokes that kind of make days. Now, you've said that you won't be back next season, even if the NCAA grants uh, winter sports seniors an extra year of eligibility. So I ask you, what's next for you? I know you have a wedding coming up. Uh, I'm assuming you want to play professionally. Have you kind of started transitioning to that phase of, of your uh, basketball career yet? Yeah, I mean, I've been in contact with some agents about the possibility of playing in the future. And obviously right now, you know, we're in this quarantine situation, so I can't exactly train. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just picked up, I just picked up intermittent fasting and try something, you know. But, uh, yeah, you know, just looking, looking into the future, you know, I've got to get my body right, you know, through the summer and get ready for the next year, you know. Hopefully the opportunity will present itself. Brevin Pritzel, a Big Ten champion, and according to ESPN, he's a, he's a national champion. Brevin, we'll send you a T-shirt your way, and congratulations on your career, and, and best of luck on your professional journey. Thank you very much. Wrapping up here on the Badger Blitz podcast, I wanted to hand out my postseason awards for Wisconsin basketball this past year. Now, in case you missed it, I ranked all of Wisconsin's 21 wins from 21-1 in a three-part series on Badger Blitz. That's 100% free. So check it out if you're interested, and I tweeted the links on my Twitter account uh, late last week at the Badger Nation. I was going to originally do a top five, but I, I couldn't make a decision between five, six, and seven because there were so many little things that happened over the course of the last uh, six to eight weeks in, in these wins that really set the table uh, that for Wisconsin's big win in Indiana. Winning on the road, something Wisconsin hadn't done well all season until they won at Tennessee, then at Ohio State, then at Penn State. Uh Coming back from a performance, winning a game in which you didn't play your best. That happened at home against Minnesota. Wisconsin proved that. Uh, Coming back from nine points down, Wisconsin had some big comebacks this year by just chipping away, staying poised, making some big shots. Brad Davidson's three-pointer in Indiana was huge. Wisconsin showed throughout the season that they can make those big shots, especially Brad Davidson, that win against Maryland. Brad hit the big shot. Uh, Demetri Trice, too, with his calm and confidence down the stretch. He showed that at Michigan. So, all these wins kind of set the table for that Indiana win. And spoiler alert, that game at Indiana was my number one win of the season because it net Wisconsin a championship. But read the story, uh, or the three-part series, and you kind of get a sense of what we're talking about here. And I really enjoyed putting that together for the site. But in terms of my team awards, I gave out Defensive Player, Most Improved Player, Iron Man Award, Sixth Man of the Year Award, Hustle Award, and then the MVP and that last one's kind of tricky, so I'll get to that at the end. But my defensive player of the year goes to Nate Reavers. Uh, the junior led Wisconsin 13.1 points per game, but for a team that needed someone to step up in the middle of their defense, without Micah Potter for the first 10 games, without Ethan Happ and Cool Iverson and Charlie Thomas this year for graduation, Reavers led Wisconsin with 58 blocks. And was that, that post-presence that Wisconsin sorely needed, he was consistent all season, and his defense on Minnesota's Daniel Oturo in the final seconds of that win at the Kohl Center was one of the turning points in that victory over the Gophers, where it was gritty but not pretty. That was a mile Wisconsin lived by all season, and Nate Reavers kind of fits that mold perfectly. Even in the games where he scored double figures and led Wisconsin scoring, it wasn't always pretty, but it certainly was, was a gritty effort most times for, for Mr. Reavers. My most improved player, that was pretty easy for me in a lean four. The junior bumped his scoring average from 3.1 points two years ago to 8.6 points this past year. He was even better as Wisconsin made its push in February. Over that uh, 29-day month, 10.9 points, 6.6 rebounds, and he shot 45.2% from three-point range. His performances against Michigan State and Purdue were two of the finest performances by a UW player all season. 
I think the best individual performance, though, went to Dimitri Trice, who is my Ironman Award winner. He had a couple 30-point games around there. Uh, Third-team All-Big Ten selection, but his 28 points against Michigan was perhaps the best by far all season. He made his first five shots to set a great tone for a huge late-season road win against a ranked team. A lot of, I think it really gave Wisconsin a ton of confidence. It showed Wisconsin that their winning streak uh, was legit. A lot of those wins early in that winning streak came at home, and the only road win was at uh, Nebraska, last place Nebraska. So huge by Demetri Trice, but he's my Ironman award because he led Wisconsin with 131 assists while playing a team-best 32.2 minutes. His assist-to-turnover ratio was 2.5. That was second-best in the Big Ten. So uh, I really thought that that Trice, maybe while he kind of ebbed and flowed offensively at points, he was always on par with his assist-to-turnover ratio, always on the court for Wisconsin in those key moments, and made a lot of huge plays down the stretch to help propel Wisconsin to that Big Ten championship. The sixth man of the year, he should have been the Big Ten sixth man of the year, and Micah Potter, he was the team's top rebounder. At 6.2 per game, he had the best shooting percentage on the team. He shot over 52%. He had the best three-point percentage on the team. He shot over 45%. And he shot 86% from the free throw line. That was the best on the team. In Big Ten play, Potter led all reserves in rebounding, field goal percentage, and three-point field goal percentage. How the hell is Micah Potter not the Big Ten sixth man of the year? Uh, Since he became eligible, the Badgers were 16-5 and and owned the number eight strength of record over the last 11 weeks of the season. I mean, he was just phenomenal for Wisconsin. His play over the last seven minutes of that Indiana game won Wisconsin that Big Ten title. Wisconsin's getting killed on the boards. Potter has four fouls. Guard has no choice but to put him in. And Potter, huge offensive rebounds, huge plays in the post, and he didn't foul out. That was one of the big reasons why Wisconsin is a Big Ten champion this year. My hustle award goes to Brad Davison. He led Wisconsin over that eight-game winning streak with 13.5 points per game, had that big 30-point performance at Nebraska. He shot on that streak 45% from the field, over 47% from three-point range. But it was the the sequence that happened before the winning streak in Wisconsin's home win against Maryland that, to me, was one of the big moments of the season where Brad anticipated an inbounds pass, got a hand on it, and then was able to knock the ball off the inbounder who was still standing out of bounds to get the possession arrow back to Wisconsin. And on the ensuing Wisconsin offensive possession, he hits a three-pointer from the corner to lift Wisconsin to a huge home victory over eventually one of the tri-champions of the Big Ten. I know Brad sometimes gets a bad rap with how he plays, but his his energy is infectious. Greg Gard loves him. His teammates love him. The energy that he brings on both ends of the floor uh, kind of cut from the same mold as a Josh Gosser and a Zach Showalter. He's just one of those gritty glue guys that's willing to do anything to help his team win. So Brad Davison, easily the hustle award. All these awards have been pretty easy for me until I got to MVP. And how do you give an MVP to award to, award to a team that didn't have any first or second all big 10 selections on it? Uh, first time that's I think ever happened, I, I, if I recall correctly, in the history of the Big Ten, that a champion of the league didn't get a first or second team selection. I could be really crass and give the award to Kobe King because since Kobe left, Wisconsin turned into this unstoppable animal down the stretch. They went nine and two without him, eight and one officially after he announced his decision. Uh, pretty impressive what Wisconsin was able to do without 
one of their better offensive weapons on the roster. And I know Wisconsin basketball is canceling their end of the season banquet for fans to attend because of everything going on with the COVID-19 virus. But I would be surprised if when Wisconsin maybe announces their awards, if there is no team MVP or they split the team MVP from all the guys on the roster, from the eight scholarship guys and then the walk-ons, and it's just a team award because this was the poster child of what a team looks like. You had so many different players step up down the stretch. Basically, Wisconsin was led in scoring by a different player every night. And they had key contributions and key opportunities. Brevin Pritzel's three-pointers. Demetri Trice's 28-point performance. Brett Davidson's 30-point performance. Micah Potter down the stretch in Indiana. There are so many individual great performances here by so many different people that I don't think you can single out one person as being the MVP of this team. So it's a team award. I can't pick one. And I don't think you could pick one either. You can make a case. I can make a case for either one of those guys, but then that's slighting someone else who's just as deserving. So it's my decision. It's my awards. I'm copping out. I'm splitting it between everyone on the Wisconsin team. And I think that's a fitting way to kind of put a bow on this 2020 Wisconsin basketball season. My thank you to you for listening in your quarantined house, wherever you are. I appreciate you continuing to log on to BadgerBlitz.com. Follow me on Twitter at TheBadgerNation and follow the site on Twitter at Badger underscore Blitz. Make sure you vote in the Wisconsin Bracket Challenge to pick what recruit is the ultimate champion for Wisconsin football. Could be whatever you want. Best recruiting story, best recruiting outcome, uh, most offers, however you want to vote. It's entirely up to you. We hopefully will be back with you soon, maybe next week with another show. As news breaks, you can find it on BadgerBlitz.com and here on the BadgerBlitz.com podcast.